Welcome to I'd Rather Stay In with your hosts, Megan Myers and Steffi Predmore. This week, we're chatting about teaching during COVID with our guest, Marika Glaza. Stay tuned. Hello. Hi, Steffi. How's it going? Oh, it's good. It's going. What's up with you, Megan? Uh, well, I got a Sephora order yesterday. Ooh, I love a Sephora order. Uh, it was my, it's my birthday soon, and so I had to get my fancy Sephora birthday gift that they do every year. Which I never remember to do, for the record. Right, so then, of course, I had to get some other stuff, and because I'm trying to figure out how to reinsert myself back into society now, which sounds (laughs) like I'm going to be a debutante or something, uh, I'm going to be appearing at the next Bridgerton Ball. Uh, I was like, oh, I I should get some concealer because I I have dark circles after this last year. Yeah, just a little bit. And so I fretted about what kind of concealer to get, what shade, because there's 30 different shades and I, it's the internet, so I don't know how to describe my face. Um, (laughs) Right. And so I just picked one. And it came, and then I was trying it on today, and then I was putting all my things away, and I was organizing my makeup and stuff, and I found a tube of concealer, and it is the exact same color that I ordered. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Do we think that you just did a really good job of remembering, or did you want to try something new? I definitely did not remember that I had ever ordered it before. Because <laughs> it had been so long ago that you right. wore makeup. Um, and I, I guess I would have just assumed that would have showed up as like a thing that would say, you've already ordered this, like on Amazon. Oh, no. Um, apparently Sephora does not No. Help it saves it way. like in your orders, but then you have to have the mind to go back and check. Uh-uh. No, that's silly. Um, Why would but, we do that? No, I, the color is fine. I was just more <laughs> proud of myself that I consistently picked the same random color twice. <laughs> Off of the internet, yeah. Apparently concealer. over a year apart. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, my benefit when I'm like buying things that are of that nature, like foundations and concealers, is that I can usually buy the palest color that they have and it usually works. Well, that was a so... thing. They have many pale shades <laughs> and they were all like pale. It was basically like light with pink undertones, light with yellow undertones. Oh, uh-huh. Pale with pink undertones. <laughs> like, w- w- which, which one is which? Yeah. So I have the very, uh, I don't know how to feel, how I feel about the name of vanilla <laughs> as my concealer color. Hmm. But there you I mean, go. it's a pretty name. It's better than some makeup names I've heard. I yogurt. Get, I mean, it's better than like yogurt. That Yes, that would be that would disgusting. Be a, I have seen that. Guys, I've seen that as a makeup name. So, Like for your face though or like nail polish? Like makeup that goes on your face. I think it maybe, no. maybe it was eyeshadow. It was like in an eyeshadow oh, palette. But there was definitely gross. like. Yeah, and it was not a color that yogurt should ever actually be. <laughs> So I was really concerned about these people that were naming this eyeshadow palette because I was like, this is not, I don't, 
uh, like if this is the color that your yogurt is, I think we need to like go through your fridge and maybe do like a clean out. Like I'm a little worried. So, Ew. but yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can I have their job? Cause I would do a better job. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Oh, well, I feel like your plan to reinsert yourself into society is just a nice summary of where we're all at like what do we do right how do we do this I forgot also trying (laughs) trying to put eyeliner on today I was like oh no it was absolutely not not. it didn't go well absolutely not well luckily you have like a month before you do family pictures to like practice so yes that is good (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I don't remember how to do anything I don't remember how to dress myself I don't remember how to put makeup on I luckily my hair if I let my hair curl it just does its own thing and so uh, that helps me but I definitely have had multiple times in the last couple of weeks where I'm like clothes and out uh clothes uh I have to put together (laughs) how Something that doesn't sweat paint. Oh, dear. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. When I went to go open my new bank account, I was like, should I wear the jeans that have many, many holes in them? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and then, that's what I have. <laughs> and then you and I purged so much so much from my closet, which was great. But now I have a lot fewer things to, like, thumb through. And I'm... I, don't, I mean, I saved you time because you, you did thumb through them time. and discard it anyway. Well, yes. And many of the things did not fit anymore. And so they needed to go. Like, they needed to go to a different home. But I also am, like, looking at my closet and I, I'm like, oh, I, like, own nothing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> nothing that looks decent unless it's, like, a sundress. And then I'm like, okay, I have some dresses. But pants? Oh, absolutely not. So, mm-hmm. It's okay. We're we're gonna figure it out. Maybe if we don't, it's fine. No one really needs pants. No one really needs pants. Our children can just be. We're like at the age where we should be embarrassing our children anyway. So it's cool. It's cool. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. So speaking of children. We know that any of us who have children of school age like Megan does, knows that the last year has been really interesting, let's just say, when it comes to school. And we have several teacher friends that we've sort of been watching from afar as they have been trying to figure out teaching during the pandemic. And so we thought it would be good to talk about that today. Yeah, to chat about the past year and the future of education, we've invited on teacher Marika Glaza. Welcome, Mari. Hello, welcome. Hi, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thank you for welcoming us to our podcast. We love you having you here. We're all welcome here. Uh, Mari, please tell our listeners a little about yourself. So my name is Mari Glaza, and I was born and raised in Ann Arbor, Michigan. That's a big part of who I am. It's not just a hometown, it's a way of life. Um, I um, I went to the University of Michigan, and I graduated there from there in 2009, 
And then I taught for a year abroad in Spain with the language and cultural ambassadors program set up by their government. Um, I was contracted to teach English in a elementary school in Andalusia. And then following that year, um, I decided to give Austin a try. And I moved here. I worked for a year in a Montessori school that was ages like two months to five years. And then I did an alternative certification program to get my teaching certification and begin what is now my career in bilingual education. So that kind of brings us up to where we're at now. I have two dogs and I currently teach first grade in a one-way dual language classroom. What does that mean? What does one-way dual language mean? So within bi- within bilingual education in Texas, there's various models. One of the two of the more common models that are used are one way and do they're called one way or two way dual language. So with one way, you have students that are only transitioning one way language wise. So all of the children share a common native language and they're all transitioning to a common sec- language too is how they would refer to it. So all of my kids are native Spanish speakers and they're all transitioning into English. Whereas if it was a two-way dual language classroom, you would have students that are native um, English speakers mixed in with native Spanish speakers with the idea being that as the native English speakers pick up Spanish and the native Spanish speakers pick up English, they'll kind of be like um, a mutually helpful model kind of thing. At some point, they'll sort of cross in the middle and kind of meet. Yeah, and it can middle. be, like, and there's a lot of, like, societal benefits of, like, both kids get to be experts in a language. Like, there's a lot of different, um, like, psychology behind it. I've actually never taught in a two-way dual language program. In my years, I have taught in a early exit program, which is, where they exit the children out of their native language. So in my case, Spanish for my students, they exit them out of Spanish as early as possible with the idea being to um, acquire English as soon as possible. So when I taught in another district prior to the one that I'm in currently, um, I taught second grade and all of my students were again, native Spanish speakers, but they were in my classroom expected to speak pretty much primarily only in English with the idea of they needed to be prepped in English for third grade. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes sense. I actually, one of our friends just enrolled her, she lives in California. She just enrolled her son in a dual language immersion uh, program for kindergarten. So um, this has been like, uh, that kind of program has sort of been front of mind for me um, the last couple of weeks as she's been trying to get him enrolled. So I'm always very fascinated by that. Um, I think those are, I think those programs are awesome. So the school year is almost over. <laughs> probably yes. probably thinking, thank God. Who's uh, counting the days? I think roughly 17. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not you. So how is it going for you? Um, I mean, I always say I love this job and I hate this job in the same breath that it can take. 
Um, but for the most part, no matter how much I complain, I choose to sign my contract and I come back every year and the good outweighs the bad. And I'm so happy to be here. Um, right now, it's amazing to actually be with students because last year we were kind of robbed of this. It kind of came in Texas. It came as like a big hit that we left Friday for spring break and we never came back to school. It, right. exact, like exactly like that. Like your pencils were left in your desk. Like your half done worksheet was left there. It was kind of like Vesuvius erupted and we were the Pompeii of like school. Kind Everything of creepy, was actually. frozen in time. It was very odd. Um, teachers were given maybe an hour depending on your campus, 10 minutes depending on your campus to basically supermarket sweep. You ran in, you grabbed anything you thought you might need for what we didn't know, what we were going to do, and then you run out. Um, And the reason why I say that it's so nice to be with students is because this is where we really get to start to see the fruits of our labor. Like we've been working all year, the students have been working all year, and this is really where like, you know them so well because you spend so much time together. They're using the strategies y'all have practiced all year. They're doing so much that you can really like, you really see that growth. And it's almost kind of like we were robbed of the final weigh-in in a way last year. And so it's really nice to have this time with them. And I'm so proud of the progress that I'm seeing. And um, we're already starting their end of year testing. So yeah. So are you teaching uh, in the school or remotely or is it a mix of both? What are your days like? I um, I am the only teacher that is bilingual on my grade level. So I, because of the fact that I am a singleton, I am I have been doing hybrid teaching the entire year. At the mm. beginning of the mm. year, my school district had everybody virtual, and then after, I want to say like right around the beginning, like middle of September, like right around September thirteenth, I want to say, they allowed the first wave of students to come in and they kind of prioritized students that were at risk um students that were labeled as special education um I can't remember the other qualifiers but it was like if you wanted to send your kids back we'll open up our building to 25 percent capacity of students prioritizing the ones that most need it so Mm -hmm. at that time I had six students come back in person learning which left me with, at the time, and was at 22. So I'm actually so tired, I can't do that math right now. I promise, though, I teach. <laughs> um, 22 takeaway six is how many we had online. So I'm really going to do that math. Is that 16? 16 online, six in person? Is that 22? I think so. Um, yeah. You're asking <laughs> the wrong people. We're language people, not math people. Yeah. So <laughs> then, so anyway, so like that was the first call it they do quarters so that was our first nine-week quarter and then by our second nine-week quarter which was like starting roughly around I want to say November-ish like after Thanksgiving maybe um that's when a second wave of students that if you chose to send them back now we would allow them up to 50 percent capacity so more students could come back and then it was 
anybody that wants to come back, I'm pretty sure. So then I basically went from six to 10 to, I want to say 14. And now I'm at 17, ending the year in person with seven virtual. I have 24 students altogether. My day, what that looks like is a delicate balance of doing Zooms. So I have three I have three scheduled Zooms that I do for all students that are um, at-home learners. And I do those. The first one is usually is almost exclusively just for the at-home learners. And the other two, I project my screen. I'll do like a weird balancing act of like projecting my screen onto my main projector in the classroom. So then whatever the kids online on Zoom can see on my computer, the kids in my classroom are seeing on like our giant whiteboard. And then I kind of just volley back and forth between teaching the same lesson concurrently to students that are at home and in person. So I do um, like a hybrid where seven of my kids are online, the rest of them are staring at the board and I'm talking live time, asking questions, like seeing who's raising their hand, fielding responses from both children at the same time. The only time that I work exclusively with my virtual students are um, is the first Zoom of the day when we kind of do like a morning meeting, a check-in. And then I've also been doing like different intervention groups and reading groups at times throughout the year um, with the kids that need it for extra support at home too. So that doesn't involve my other 17 in-person kids. That's a, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> no sorry I was talking a lot but yeah it's a no, lot of juggling <laughs> yeah that is that is a lot it's a lot for one person to do yes. like that is teachers already have like basically two full-time jobs and you just basically doubled that amount of work for yourself yeah I'm I mean it is I'm not going to Lions, it is very hard to feel like I can do my absolute best job sure. for everybody when it's you're being stretched so thin. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of think that everybody, without necessarily like verbally acknowledging it, has kind of been like, we're going to do best practices as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make sure that everybody is learning something. And we are going to keep kids safe and we're going to keep them happy because it's still a pandemic. So um, just choosing what you're prioritizing as much. Like, have I had my most engaging hands-on lessons every single day like I maybe would have had in past years? No, but I'm also trying to keep 17 children independently working while welcoming seven children virtually online while saying, yes, you can go to the restroom and then fielding a walk-in from my principal. So (laughs) there's there's a lot of Mary Poppins going on. Right. Well, it makes me think of, you know, I think that one of the most poignant, like, metaphors that has – I've seen talked about this this past year and I've and I've seen this talked about you know it's like okay we're we're juggling we're all juggling things but like as I think it especially in the last year I've seen it more talked about like yes we're all juggling a lot of 
things. We all have a lot of balls in the air, but the in the last year we've had to sort of acknowledge which balls are glass so we cannot yes. drop them versus which ones are you know like a tennis ball you can drop yep. it it's gonna come back up if you drop it it's not that big of a deal like the world's not gonna end like and that is what what you just described is what that sounds exactly like to me of yeah okay what is what is so critical that I cannot let that drop versus where are the things that like if I let up on that it's gonna be okay yep so you know, I mean, a lot. I have heard you mention many things that seem like a challenge um, here as we've been talking. But what would you say has just sort of been the biggest challenge for you as a teacher in this last year? I would say that my biggest challenge is probably feeling like a sense of helplessness in some ways. Um, more so than ever before, because I can only kind of acknowledging that you can only do so much, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of worry for your virtual students, but you can't go to their house and hold the pen and hold the pencil correctly for them. You can't have that immediate turnaround on reflection on reflection in this. And also, like, there's only so many times that I can text a family and say, hi, they're not doing this. Like, this is what I'm seeing. Will you please have them sign on to Zoom for an extra reading lesson? And if they don't come, I can't do anything. There's no skipping intervention when you're at school. There's no skipping your reading group. Like, I feel like I, I, it's been hard to not have, like, full control in a way of everybody's learning because there's certain times when it's just not up to you. And that's been kind of a hard transition in a way. Yeah. I I also, I have a, a couple of teacher friends that work in um, like lower income areas and yes. their students, they, I know that they spend a lot of time just worrying just about their students, just in general, all the time. Anyway, in a in a quote normal year, but in the last year, like that concern for their students and how their families are managing and juggling, you know, if their kids have to be virtual and that they have to go to work and what's the childcare situation like and like all of those things, um, I know that those concerns have just skyrocketed for them and added so much extra stress and. Because teachers, you care about your students. It's why you teach. Absolutely. And then other than that, aside from that, I would say another challenge is just keeping everybody engaged and entertained. I mean, I don't know how many, I'm sure many people can relate to when you're doing something important and you say, okay, kids, I'm not available right now. I'm doing this. And they go, oh, of course. And then 10 seconds later, Hi, I want to show you what I did. Hi, can I do this? Hi, can and so it's hard to give undivided attention sometimes to the virtual learners because there's nobody covering your class, right? You're expected to manage your in-person kids and your virtual kids. I'm not going to another room to give these virtual lessons. I'm not having somebody come in and cover my class so that I can go do these, like they're happening concurrently. 
So I'm shooting like evil eyes at the kids that you see like kind of playing, for example, but you can't get up and go chastise them or redirect them because I'm supposed to be focused. Sorry, Brenda, what did you just say? Kind of thing. So (laughs) just, I mean, if I just had an, anytime that I have an extra set of hands in the room or an extra set of eyes, I am so thankful. So yeah, I, yeah I think uh, so. We're our school. We had the choice like a long time ago, but we we didn't get to change over uh, mid semester. So we've been virtual the whole time, and I know his my second grader's teacher is just tired from watching all of those screens and making sure every kid is paying attention, making sure they're not like hiding under their bed. And she's lucky in a way to have everybody remote. And I can't even imagine trying to manage both sets of kids at the same time. I feel like if I had just had to be remote all year, I could have been successful. If I was just doing in-person all year, I could have been successful. But it's almost like every time you kind of started to get into a rhythm, something changed and they cut your legs out from under you. Like just mm-hmm. when you're falling into a rhythm, then it's like more kids come back in and they don't know the routines or they haven't been like, this is the first time they're being in school since last March. But then right. there's kids, it's like we had four first days of school almost in a way. Yeah, I saw a lot of people were sending their kids back after spring break. And I was like, why? They haven't been in all year. You're just going to disrupt their learning. And I felt so bad for all the teachers that were involved in that situation. I mean, I welcome that. I welcome it. You know, like you're, of course, you're always happy, but it's just, it's just just another change. It's just another change, you know? So. So how have your students been doing? I am beyond impressed with my students. They are the most resilient, clever, engaging, awesome children absolutely ever um I'm so they're awesome but then there's the kids where school isn't necessarily their favorite thing to do all the time and so motivating them to learn when they're virtual has been a little bit more challenging I would say so Mm -hmm. some of the kids where you really have to do the full dog and pony show when you're in person and they're virtual now it's like yes okay let me try and be more engaging than every single distraction that is all around them okay I can do this um but for the most part they're so sweet and loving and my first group that had to come back um I want to say in early I think it was mid-September I said they were so ready for school and they were so ready to be safe. Um, They knew all about wearing their masks. They knew to wash their hands. They knew that there was no touching and nobody complained about it once. They were just so excited and happy to be back in a school. Um, The other, we told them that they had the choice at recess that if they needed to have a mask break is what we would say then you need to be very far away from the rest of your friends and you cannot play. You need to go like 
far end of the playground, very far away from everybody. Take your mask off, like take your breath, hang out. And then when you're ready to come back and be with your friends, you need to put your mask back on. Not a single child ever chose to be by themselves so they could not wear a mask. They would rather wear a mask and play with their friends than not wear a mask and be by themselves. Ugh. Bless their hearts. That's just the thing. Like, And the kids are still so much kids. Like, it, got, it became kind of funny because I forget that it's not a real school year because you kind of, everything starts to feel really normal when you're back in school every day again. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh yeah, but I guess there are still people that are working from home or like, oh yeah, I guess we are wearing masks. Like that's interesting. Um, and just as like a weird, like side anecdote, it's really weird now if you see them without their mask, like to see their whole face, <laughs> like how- I don't I recognize mean, you. <laughs> like how I imagine they look just based off of like their bone structure and their eyes changes with their face. Like when you see their whole face, and my favorite thing about teaching um, this grade level where they're six turning seven is all the different like c- configurations of loose teeth. And so many <laughs> kids have their windows. They're like front tooth windows. And normally like I would have commented on that. We would have talked about it. Oh my gosh, you lost a new tooth over the weekend. Like, and I haven't seen it. And so we were, I saw it one day and I was like, oh, hell, you don't have two front teeth. And he's like, yeah, I know. And I was like, I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, like, catch up. <laughs> oh, yeah, I haven't had these teeth in like a month. Like, what are you talking about? I'm just, and I would have never missed that, you know? Right. So there's, Man. N- there's normal and there's different still. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been really impressed with just how kids have, handled mask wearing you know I know when the school year started and I saw so many parents on social media like losing their mind about their kids having to wear masks and just throwing absolute fits about it and then I saw like my friend's kids and how they like actually like were totally cool with wearing their masks and like they enjoyed picking out fun masks and um you know getting to getting to pick ones with their favorite you know characters on them or in their favorite colors or like things like that and so which is like one of those things where I think like when you as a parent can like model something in a positive Mm -hmm. way like it totally changes how your kids approach it um but which I mean I wish that wearing a mask did not have to be this new normal for our kids but I've been very impressed with you know the especially those younger children and how they like have just been like okay I gotta wear this mask okay cool and I'm like can we can we get a lesson here for some adults like <laughs> uh. um the and honestly there was one million teacher memes and YouTube memes and this and that joking like the kids are going to go crazy with their masks. There's going to be the nose picker. There's going to be the blah, 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 blah. I will honestly say, I mean, the biggest thing that I will ever have to say to kids is just over your nose, please. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. it. Um, And in terms of like being uncomfortable with the mask, the only time that they really ever complain about wanting a new mask is when they come in from recess and they're super sweaty. And I mean, like, Think about it as an adult. You wouldn't want a sweaty, wet paper mask on your face either. 
So I we have extras. The school district has been pretty uh, pretty good about supplying like as many masks as we need. We've had teachers like sew masks for kids as well. Um, and they know like you go out into the hall, you take your mask off, you put your new one on, quick the quick the whip, and you come right back in. So there's a lot of routines that the kids know, um, and we're really lucky to uh, the tiles in on the floor in my school. There's a purple tile like every six feet, so you can just say like stand in a purple square, and that was like just really dumb That's luck. So helpful, <laughs> but um, really easy visual for the kids. So yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I wish our kids didn't have to get used to all of this stuff, but you know, mm-hmm. and and kids. You know, I think we talk about a lot about how resilient kids are and and sometimes it's resilience and sometimes they're just trying to survive. But man, I've been real impressed with with the kids over this last year. Just even, you know, my my little one is she's only one, um, but I've been so impressed with all of my friends, kids, my nieces and nephews. And they're they're rock stars. Yeah. So you teach bilingual kids. Um, yes. Has there been a different set of challenges for them that you've seen versus your colleagues who do not teach bilingual kids? Um, so not just because I teach bilingual kids, but also because I teach in a Title I campus. So um, uh, the majority of my children do qualify for free and reduced lunch. And I think that they would like they do qualify as low income according to whatever standard by the government. Um, so I will, but, and maybe this is also doing due to being bilingual. There is a technology black hole completely divorced from the way that people are living their lives and the way that school districts imagine people are living their lives in this community. Um, one of the biggest, so number one, not all of my kids have internet. Not all of my kids have computers. The district was pretty good about providing computers to all of the kids that needed it, and that was awesome. Um, but then not all of the kids had internet. So then what do you do? Some of the kids were signing on to Zoom on their parents' phone. But then what happens if their brother has a Zoom at the same time? They're both sharing the phone? I mean, they were saying that you could go to this school parking lot as hotspots. But imagine, like, how are you going to have a meaningful Zoom in a car or in a parking lot when it's still August in Texas? Um, so there well, was and, that, and that, is, that makes the assumption that they can get to the school parking lot. Yeah. So, I mean, or the library parking lot or like public areas that had Wi-Fi like floating in the air. But there was a lot there were a lot of kids that did not have Internet um, starting the school year and they did not have devices and they did not have Zoom. And then the other thing is that they have parents that don't live their lives using technology all of the time. So, so much of our of the time and energy, the first couple of weeks of school not just the bilingual parents, but my, oh, I would say a lot of bilingual parents needed a ton of tech support. And then you needed to provide that tech support in their language and explain it to them in a way that they can understand. 
So, I mean, I would be on the phone. Okay, when do you get off work? Seven o'clock? Okay, when you get off work at seven o'clock, video chat me on my personal phone, and I'm going to show you how to log into your child's seesaw because they care. Just because they don't understand how to get into it sometimes doesn't mean that they don't want to. They say, oh, my goodness, my Esther, I know it's been five days of school, and I'm trying to log in, but I don't know what to do. Can you help? You have to help, you know? They're trying the best, so you have to be flexible and do your best to help, but there is a lot to be learned between the technology um, aspect of it. And then the other frustrating thing to me is that I think that a lot of the powers that be that run the district kind of were like, you're going to do it our way. And so this, so they sent out a survey to to parents saying, do you, are you going, would you like to send your kid back in person or um, stay virtual? But here's the thing. They sent it to a parent portal where you have to make an account, set up a username and a password, and then log in, and then set up the account, and then check the email. Are you kidding me? I had to literally teach a mom how to make the at symbol by pushing shift and two at the same time. That was a that was one of the tech support questions that I had. And they want people to go and they want parents that don't have this comfortability to go in, create a username and a password and to be able to do this, that. And I was like, you know what they should have done? Print the survey and mail it to people. If you really cared that's what you would want. That's what you would have done. But of course they don't. So whose shoulders did it fall onto to call all of the parents that never responded to the survey? Right. The teachers. So this is the, we're getting ready to go back to school. Teachers, please stop. The secretary is sending you a list of all students that have not responded to the email. We need you to call and reach out to all parents by the end of the day to confirm if there will be in-person or virtual learners. Why is this our job? Right. Why did you guys not try and do everything you can to get in touch with them? If I can call them, you can call them. <laughs> right. And why is it your yeah. job to be providing, you know, the bilingual tech support? And like, and it's just, just to me like a lack of awareness. Like, yeah. What are you like? What would what was your plan for when they don't create this username and password account? Because that's the thing. Like as a teacher, we are expected to do everything to reach everyone, right? Mm -hmm. I have to think if if Sally isn't going to be able to create a username and password, how am I going to get this information to Sally? It would never be acceptable to just say, "Oh, didn't create a username and password. Can't do it, Sally." No, I would have to find a way for Sally to provide that information. Right. Yet, I feel like sometimes they don't, they don't care enough to find it. They're like, oh, well, we put it in Spanish. Yeah, at the bottom of a three-page email that is, again, like written in like very high-level Spanish, maybe. We don't, like, some of parents don't necessarily have, like, a college degree equivalent from their countries you know like there's just that feel like a lot of potholes especially with technology that things have like fallen through that have made it difficult 
outside of just a regular teaching year. I mean, yeah. even those emails in English when we before we moved and I was trying to read them and understand them and they're all of the Facebook groups for my kids' classes were like, I don't understand what this even says. What what are they proposing? What are they trying like if we can't understand in English, how do they expect people to understand in any other language as well? Like And with a college degree, like you're highly educated. Right? <laughs> yeah, like right. they're just writing it in such a way that it's almost like like a lawyer wrote it. You're not meant to understand it. Yeah, they're so out of touch and with the people that they're supposed to be serving. Absolutely. And so much of like elementary school is like if you don't have the parents buy-in, you're mm-hmm. not going to be able to do anything. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, like what I do is that I am really used to having – people that don't know technology because my mom doesn't know the difference between a computer and a palm tree and (laughs) um I said you know what guys here is my personal cell phone number text me a picture of your kid reading a book and I will count that as their as being present today here's what I want them to do so I would film like an abbreviated zoom on my phone and then text the video to the parents and when they got off work they would play the video for the kid the kid would do the assignment they would take a picture of it with their cell phone and then text it back to me and that's how we did school for about three weeks for at least three kids in my class Mm. and then you know you step from there like okay you did get a computer from school. Awesome. So now you need help setting it up. Okay. Okay. Now you're still waiting on internet. But for those kids who have parents that work all day and their babysitter is 75 years old and she lives next door and they don't have internet, nor does she, that's what it was. And like, and then, I mean, sometimes it's hilarious. I had one kid. Who's who's both of his parents work full time, but he his grandma would watch him, and so I think that it was hard to learn because you know a grandma. But before mom would go to work for the day, she would drop off, drop off little Johnny at grandma's, and then sign grandma into the Zoom meeting for me, and then I would let them in, and they would just turn the screen so it faced a bookshelf until it was time for Johnny to be on Zoom. And then Johnny would be on Zoom, turn the, and then it would finish, and they would just turn it there. They would not sign out of the meeting to save their life. They stayed in that <laughs> meeting from 7.30 until like 3 by just turning it to the bookshelf when it's not Zoom time and back to like the table when it is Zoom time. But there was no way they were going to touch what was working besides turn. It was like a parakeet, like a bird cage. You just take, <laughs> you just take the blanket off, and then you put it back on. So, oh, um, man. I mean, I don't blame them. I, there are times when I'm like, okay, I got on, I did the thing, I don't want to touch anything because I might screw it up. Like, <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, I, oh my goodness, I can't, I can't imagine just you you as the teacher having to juggle all of that and you know those and you also know like you're working with little kids but 
I have to imagine at some point those little kids are also being a little bit of tech support for their parents. Like, oh yeah, I they're mean, shouldering I, a little bit of that burden too. Yeah, I talked to sisters, cousins, middle school brothers, babysitters, grandparents. I mean, you name somebody who cares about a child, and I probably talked to that person in the first three weeks of school. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. that's, and that has been, I would definitely say more of an aspect of this year teaching because of how it is, is that like, you cannot get out of having parents involved this year. It's not a choice. Like there's no way to avoid it. Cause you're not going to be, you can't do anything without talking to them. You have to schedule when they're going to sign on to exams. You have to have a number that works. There's a lot going on. Yeah. So do you view teaching differently as a result of this past year and two months? Yes. I view it much more than I ever did in the partnership between parents and teachers. I definitely 1000% feel like I am more collaborative with parents and that I communicate with them way more than I would if it had been a normal school year. 1000%. So do you think moving when we are all back in the classroom eventually, I yeah. assume next fall, yes. do you think that you will kind of try to continue that level of participation with them? I think that I will. Um, I will say that like none of the parents have really abused having my personal number. Um, and I was, like, a little bit nervous. I wouldn't have done that, like, normally prior to pandemic time. I would normally just communicate with, like, uh, one of the educational apps that's out there. You have Class Dojo. You have this. You have that. But there's a simplicity in it. And it's, I mean, I almost always have my cell phone with me. And if something happened at recess, I can snap a picture and say, Sally, scrape your knee. Just want to show you hey, snapping a picture, look at that picture really fast. Is she having an allergic reaction? The nurse noticed it. Like the immediate feedback because everybody has their phone on them nowadays. And even like anybody knows how to text message now. That is one thing that everybody knows how to do. So um, I definitely will be trying to do more of that. So moving forward, Pandemic times or not, what can parents and others in the school community do to better support teachers? Buy them coffee. Send a coffee <laughs> card. <laughs> Every now and again, when, before Teacher Appreciation Week, just get 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 Starbucks gift card will go a long way in saying, hey, I know, it's tough. Um, other things that I would say that to support teachers – A lot of it goes to admin and saying, like, you need to check your expectations of what is going on this year. So not all of that falls on to parents. I really wouldn't complain. Like, of all of the things that have been going on this year, very few of them, I would say, is because I don't feel supported by the families in in my classroom at all. I mean, I would say vote. Vote for people that value teachers vote for legislation that is going to pay teachers adequately 
so that they don't have to have second jobs and work and be stressed and then come to school exhausted. Um, as parents and people in the community, use your agency to make teachers' lives better. But like as an individual parent in a microcosm, you know, raise your kids, like teach them to be polite and kind and patient. Um, Cause you know, those are life skills that help in the classroom. But I wouldn't complain. I don't really have a complaint to say like, oh, I wish my parents were doing this more. I would say, I just, I wish that the whole society was doing this more. Fund education more so that I could have an extra person in my classroom when I'm doing hybrid teaching. Right. That would be something, you know? So I think paying attention and voting in favor of public education is a way to support teachers. Well, we love voting, so our listeners know how much we love voting, and especially, you know, not just on a national level, but on a state and local level, that those policies can, and the people that you vote for, can make a really big difference. So I think that's a great reminder that it goes beyond just, like, the policies that affect you in your home, but there are policies that affect your kids at school and the teachers. Yeah, we are public servants. Yeah. Yeah. I love that reminder. And it is, uh, it's actually, it is Teacher Appreciation Week as we record this. Uh, oh, it but, is. Yes. But it's always a good time to thank a teacher, even if they're always. not your teacher anymore. I would also remind listeners that many teachers pay for supplies for their classroom out of their pocket. And so... I know that my teacher friends never, you know, never turn down Target gift cards or, you know, extra supplies for their classroom that they have not had to pay for out of their own pocket. So um, I know that that's always something that they have appreciated as well. So there's lots of ways that you can love on the teachers in your lives, whether they're your kids' teachers or your friends or your family members. Lots of ways you can love on them beyond Teacher Appreciation Week, y'all. Yeah, and next year, if we are allowed to have people be in schools again that aren't just teachers, volunteer in your local school, even if you don't have a kid there. If you want to volunteer to read a story in a classroom or to test kids on their sight words. Teachers always usually need somebody to help in the classroom, cutting out laminate, doing things like that. Like telling a teacher at back to school night, hey, I can't volunteer in the classroom because I'm, I'm at home with my little one. But if you send this home, I would be happy to cut it out with for you. Just knowing that you have a parent that's like, I'll cut out this is amazing. Because little things like that take up time. Yeah. Okay, guys, you heard her. There are many ways that, you know, some are financial, but lots and lots of ways that you do not have to give any money and you can support teachers, whether it's your time, whether it is with your vote, lots of ways we can support our educators. So this is your call to action. Figure out what you're going to do this upcoming school year and do a little bit of something for our, our teachers. Well, Marika, thank you so much for joining us. This was such a great episode. Thank you for sharing 
your experiences with us in this last year. And I can just tell from talking to you how much you love your students and how much you love their parents and the passion that you put into your job and that you don't just think it is a job, but I can tell that it's something that you truly love. So thank you, not just for being here, but for also being a loving teacher to your students. Oh, thank Um, you so much. So let's wrap up the with our joy for the week. What is bringing you joy, Mari? The weather has taken a beautiful turn right now in Austin. We had some rainy days and the sun has been out to play. So I'm enjoying outside recess this week with the kids. That has been awesome. It's a fun time to have some conversations that you don't normally get to have and seeing the kids run and play and even teachers need that air too so it's really bringing me joy that I get to get outside today this week for recess that's been a big smile on my face I love that I love that Steffi what about you so over the last weekend, um, we got to go over to see my grandmother and my aunt and my uncle, and we haven't gotten to see them in over a year since Eden was like three weeks old. So just like a couple of weeks before the pandemic hit. Um, and so it was really nice to see them again um, and to spend the weekend there. Um, they live out sort of in the middle of nowhere on a bunch of property. They've got some um, farmland that they have um, somebody farm for them. And then they have these woods that back up to their house. And um, Alex loves, if if anyone is familiar with um, morels and mushroom hunting, it is morel season around here. And so Alex got to go spend a couple hours just being like a nature man out in the woods um, mushroom hunting which he absolutely loved and he found a probably a couple pounds of morels which was uh, amazing they're so delicious um and so yeah it was just really nice to to spend time with family that we haven't seen in a while and for them to see eden now that she's you know not just like a little sleeping blob all of the time um so yeah it was that was a really a really special weekend that's awesome. I my actually get to see my brother this weekend. I haven't seen him in a, way more than a year. I don't even know how long it's been since I've seen him. So it's yeah. exciting to have like visits with actual human family and not just the <laughs> same people that you've seen. No offense, Steffi. I love. I was going to say but... I love you a lot, but it is nice to see family that I haven't seen in a long time. So, <laughs> Megan, what's bringing you joy? Um, I finally got my raspberry plants that I ordered back in, I guess maybe February I ordered them. The place I ordered them from, they send them when it's like the exact right time for you to plant them for your zone. Mm -hmm. And they came today and I'm very excited to get them in the ground tomorrow and then hopefully have raspberries later on this season. And you got you got regular and black raspberries, right? Yes, I got regular yeah. raspberries and black raspberries. I'm very excited. Um, and then I read all about growing raspberries, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I have enough room for all these. <laughs> it's they, fine. They do, they do grow a lot, but You are supposed fine. to prune them, though, so it will be okay. Um, 
We also put together some raised beds and put some dirt in them, and I'll be planting more stuff in them. All right, there's nothing planted in them right now, but I've been hardening off my transplants that I grew from seed and all the peonies that line the side of my sidewalk are growing very tall and they have buds on them and I'm very excited for them to bloom so it's basically all about the garden here yeah because you don't know we don't know what color the peonies are I don't know what color they are I am on pins and needles I'm better be a good color I'm guessing there will be a lot of pink and white but they might you might throw us for a loop. There might be some really cool ones in there. So I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot of peonies. I was telling my so my grandmother used to be a master gardener um, until she quit being a master gardener because and I quote all those old ladies were really annoying. The can you just can you just quit being a master gardener? Yeah, she decided she didn't like it because all of the old ladies who sidebar were younger than her. It's fine. (laughs) anyway but she she loves being out in her yard and piddling around in her yard and so I was actually telling her about all of your peonies and that we were very excited to see what colors they were going to be and she was very excited about this for you so (laughs) (laughs) I will be sure to have you keep her posted I will absolutely let her know what is what (laughs) my dad also just went to Michigan for the tulip festival Nice. And he bought me 70 tulip bulbs (gasps) to plant in the fall. Uh, I guess I think they order them and then they are going to be delivered to me in the fall. I'm not quite sure. Something. Um, That's exciting. Yes, he sent me pictures and there are lots of beautiful ones in the collection. Oh, I love that. Very very exciting. exciting. Love it. (laughs) Yay. I love it. It's so nice to like, Mari, since you grew up in Michigan, you know all about like Midwest spring is like the most perfect time it oh absolutely like everything popping and this is bringing and, me so much happiness right now <laughs> and i mean unpopular opinion is that texas doesn't have spring but it i doesn't. love i i love and i will stay fighting for the spring of texas when the blue bonnets come out and the crosses start to get boiled and it's just fields of wildflowers everywhere. It's a really pretty time in Texas for me, too. It's not quite a Midwest spring or summer, but it definitely has a flower season down here. Yeah, I do miss the wildflowers. But it feels so short because it the blue bonnets pop up and then it's automatically like 85 degrees every day. <laughs> yep, that's about it. <laughs> Still like that. So. <laughs> Well, next week, we are going to chat all about long-distance friendships. We have talked about friendships before, but we're going to talk about how this specific kind of friendship comes with, comes with its own benefits and struggles. So in the meantime, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and listen to us on your favorite platform.